Welcome to Property and Investing with Grant and Charlie, the place where we give you access to all the strategies, tools, and tactics to become a successful property investor. Charlie, I was thinking about the idea of coming up with deposits to buy investment properties and the pain on the short term, but the benefit on the long term. Don't you hate it on the day you have to transfer the money? Even though it's into an asset, right? It's on the other side of the balance sheet. It's still Still yours. You didn't lose it. But when that cash goes missing for the deposit, I'm like, I shudder a little bit. And the the thing I hate even more is because it comes out of the offset account. But it was funny. I was talking to someone and they felt the same pain. And I said, what about? And they said, well, I headed over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter and I had to go and put in my name and email and click subscribe. And I said, okay, well, that's a short-term pain, but what's the long-term gain? They're like, I get to hear all about the property investment information that you guys push out. And I'm like, yeah, that's easy. That's a good one. The fruits, baby, the fruits. It's all about the fruits, short-term pain for long-term gain. Charlie, let's cue your disclaimer. It's Charlie here from Property and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant and I and the Property Investing team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice. We strongly encourage you to seek out and use professionals when comparing investment products or making investment decisions. All right, Grant, hugely important topic today. This might be the most important topic in real estate. Do you agree? Yes, and I don't think people know about their own bias on this one. Well, I think we've all been caught out on it at times, you and I included. I I was trying to like pretend as though I'm not. (laughs) I was just like, oh, but yes. Well, Well, let me tell you where this episode's come from in more recent times. Today, we're going to be talking about playing the short term and playing the long term in real estate, which you can absolutely play both, disclaimer, you know, all the rest of it. I'm not saying that there's not room for both. But what I feel has happened in more recent times is that our tendency, mine I'm speaking of here in case you didn't pick that up, is I've gone very short term focused. Like I find I'm spending more time trying to assess how to win the next 12 months than how to win the next 12 years, yep. which is just, I'll just say it, dumb, really dumb. But why do you think that is? Like, Because uh, you know what? I'll follow my sword as well. <laughs> I've been doing the exact same thing. And we've been pinging each other talking about, oh, have you seen this new sort of hotspot thing? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? And it was, it's almost like we've drawn out each other down this well. But like, I don't know why. Completely. So point number one, you see, I would acknowledge we're feeding off each other. Yep. If I was only proposing long-term ideas to you, we'd probably have more long-term conversations. If, But on the other hand, and I'm going to use an excuse here. You ready? I've got one. <laughs> Victimhood come at me, Grant. Victimhood yeah, come at me. Like, good. Give me an excuse. Well, I have a podcast in the space. I need to be doing research. <laughs> I need to stay up to date on the news. <laughs> That's the best excuse. I'll, I'll give it to you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Because it gives me, it gets me off the hook as well. <laughs> Everyone else out there though, if you're following the media too heavily. No excuse. Except for this podcast, you should listen to this twice. <laughs> so, I'll so walk you through. I'll walk you through it. This is what I think is going on right now. Um, first off, I think that the media space has gotten substantially bigger when it comes to property. Right, it's like it's become something where there's just always something new coming out in property. We could go on YouTube or podcast right now, and I'll bet there's a new property podcast, a new YouTube video, whatever it is. Now, in the nature of what media it is, 
they tend to obsess on short-term things. So whether it's the latest interest rate rise, the core logic report, whatever the government policy changes, right? And then it turns into speculation on to what's going to happen into the short term. And in, in context of real estate, 12 months is short term. Stunning. Yeah. Yeah. So we go, oh, there's a rate rise, which, you know, that meeting's probably going to happen tomorrow. It, it will. And we've done that for 12 months in a row where people actually cared. Yeah. <laughs> Hugely so. And I'm not discounting that some of this is important, right? These short-term topics very much should weight into decisions. So if you're looking to make a purchase in the next 12 months, what's going on in the next 12 months may affect when and what you purchase. It totally will, right? So the short-term nature of it is there, but it started to become the long-term thinking that comes into what it is to be a property investor. And when you start playing property in the in the view of winning the short term at the expense of the long term, you lose. Mm. You lose in a big way. There's, yeah, and I think unless people bring their thoughts outside of it, similar to what we have been talking about, which is where this topic came from, I think they just get caught up in it where they don't actually know the decisions they've made now until beyond that 12-month period and into the long term. They're like, oh, I wish – that I didn't go as heavy in like a cash flow property because I should have bought a better higher quality asset, which means I don't need to sell it and buy something else, right? Like there's so many different reasons as to why people need to take that, what, 10,000 foot view and actually go, well, where are you trying to get to again? <laughs> why are you trying to buy again just for this 12 month view? Well, let, let's unpack that a little bit further. So I've already blamed the media, number one. Because right, I think they're playing a very important role, both positively and negatively, in the topic of short-term and long-term thinking. I right. really do. There's a whole bunch of people that are now mark- trying to market time because of this influence. Second one you already brought up is the influence of people in property circles you hang with. So for you and I, if we're having more conversations about short-term ideas, inevitably that's going to bleed into that as well. So for everyone out there that is a property investor, just look at the influence of people around you And this might not even be of people that are in property. It might be people that are wanting to get into it and they're just news following or looking at it in that way as well and it will have an effect on you. Family and friends going, really? You're looking to buy a property? Completely. (laughs) I've heard this thing. Yeah, The sphere of influence. Yeah, completely. But there's this third category as well, and this isn't necessarily everyone, but I do think it is worth acknowledging in the discussion here, is there's a group of people where it's just like they're not personally in a financial position where they should invest in property. And those that group of people is so reliant on a short-term win to play the game or keep playing the game that that has almost become like a culture of itself, yep. right? So it's these people that are out there just trying to buy in the next hotspot so they can get a little equity win so they can extract it and play into the next one, right? Which is a dangerous short-term game, right? That is very short-term thinking against playing a longer-term uh, strategy. So if you're a hotspot jumping, and just to use this as an example, let's say you're watching the news and you're watching the media and you've got all this stuff and, you know, you love the idea, you're not in a great financial position and you find a hotspot. You might find an area that might go up 30% in the next three years, but it doesn't have a great long-term outlook. Yep. But on the basis of where you're at, you get into that opportunity, extract the equity and do the next one, but then you're left with a lower quality asset that then has, if you need to get out of, or well, you've already paid stamp duty on, you've already uh, done your closing costs and now your selling costs, where, yes, you may have might have had a little win, but you may have had a substantially better win in actually not buying property, getting yourself into a financial position where you can buy a better quality asset that you don't have to sell. 
where you can really start take advantage of the long-term gains that come with real estate, like compounding, right? You know, 77% compounded continually, like annually for 30 years, far exceeds getting a 30% win in 24 months or 36 months. And then stagnant. No, but that's not even to mention the risk of it going to zero or nothing. Like we've seen oversupply in apartments previously uh, where they were just stagnant for ages. We've seen mining towns that have just gone and basically collapsed comparative to what well, we've seen a state. WA basically <laughs> did nothing for 10 years. I like WA, so I'm trying to be nice to them. <laughs> I am too, and this is one where you and I are both trying to market time and do the thing we're telling people not to do, but it's like we love the value proposition of WA. To think that it's not, uh, in a shorter-term view, very opportunistic would be negligent. Like That is our view, and that is obviously not financial advice, but you'd have to be ignorant not to consider these long-term cycles. And that That layer is the part that, concerns me because every time I look at buying a property, it's always like, great, is there, and I'm always looking for the quick wins, as you were just saying, like, is there a, a good time to get into this um, area, region, suburb, whatever I'm looking for? Is this the right type of asset? But then it always has the longer term layer across the top because to your point, I don't want to buy something that booms and then just stagnates or has a risk of going down. I want something that's steady. I almost want this thing that just looks from the outside, like it's a boring house that just does the normal thing. And it's it's almost like this whirlwind of everyone else trying to pull me down into, no, you got to try and get in, you got to try and get out. And I'm just finding myself constantly going back to inferior assets as opposed to thinking about the long game. So risky as well. I will say uh, one of the things I always do with um, my buyer's agent is I always ask the question, is this a good 10-year decision? Yeah. It's actually the thing I ask them um, every time because the tendency is with the data they have is that they can actually spot shorter-term wins for people that are wanting to play that game. But when I factor in like just the activeness and effort and costs with transacting in property is like I'm just not looking to play three, five-year games. I like I want 10-year-plus games. Ideally, right, when you think about it, you want 20-year-plus games, Right. If you can play a 20-year game, your chances of succeeding in this are just hugely so. And um, one of the things that I think has been mistaken or misunderstood with my investing approach, I've, and we've said it on this podcast, is I will not hold assets that cost me money. Right? I, just, I won't do it. I have a business where I'm not certain what my income is going to be year to year. And because of that, I don't want to be in a position where I've got a negatively geared portfolio, where I've got to put money into it because if – luck would have it where a business cycle declines and property declines, I'd be in a really shit position. So the way I've elected to do my portfolio is going, well, I'm doing neutral and positive cash flow only. And whether that might means buying high yielding assets or putting in chunkier deposits or a mixture of both or manufacturing to increase cash flow, like that's the way I'm playing it. But something I've probably done a pretty poor job of is not expressing the growth layer that's come with these. Right, I'm not just adding in cash flow at the expense of growth, like growth and long-term outlook and the ability to grow cash flow and have capital growth in it is such a key part of my strategy as well. Now, my properties, um, you know, if I go back in time when I was really thinking about it, I am in a lot of what I would call the major regions. I do definitely have some properties in capital cities, but I also have tended to do well on riding the wave of the major regions when you think of uh, within an hour-ish of capital cities. Yep. That's where I've really done the push-in view. And my views on that, I'll leave out of it, but that's where those opportunities have lied. 
where I, I w- if I was willing to do negative gearing, maybe I would have done more capital cities, but we'll leave that there. That's how I've kind of tethered up the two to make sure there is a longer-term approach to my portfolio. But now, where I expect – oh, he's got a qu- question. Oh, no, no, because I, I found it interesting. Like One of the points that you mentioned before was – because you have a business, there is this layer of uncertainty, which means that you want to ensure that you invest in properties that are cash flow neutral or cash flow positive, whether that's manufactured or at the purchase stage, which I'm very similar, right? Whether it's at purchase or uh, through offsets or through renovations or anything like that, how do I make sure that these things don't cost me money? Very similar situation. But what I've actually found through talking to quite a few people and even sitting in Facebook groups and forums is people are almost have a similar situation where they've gone through the big C pandemic thing that we saw previously or they're in a role that they're hey, uncertain about. I'm the big C, right? Don't you dare <laughs> why, give that season. That's why I said the pandemic. There you and go. there is this huge amount of uncertainty around their own personal situation, right, where it's like maybe my I might lose my job. Maybe another house price boom might come around the corner. I'm going to get priced out of the market. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And so they've actually taken the other approach of going, well, how do I just get in as quick as humanly possible? Like, how do I go this short-term view so that I can take advantage? Very similar outlook to what you have, which is um, business is uncertain. And they're like, yep, everything in their life is uncertain. But two very different approaches to them going, how do I just get a quick win? Where you're like, I don't want the quick win. I need something more stable over the long term. And I think that's just a really interesting layer to lay across the top of this concept of the short-term versus long-term because even though people have a very similar situation, they interpret how to solve it fundamentally different ways. Completely. And, and so that I, was Can we layer, layer into this? I feel like totally. it's critical. So when it comes to real estate, I think a lot of people uh, get very obsessed with the asset and the location, right? They really do. But ultimately, the things that I think actually offer the best benefit, like where the big wins are in real estate, number one, inflation. If you have yes, <laughs> yes, and the inflation every year is eroding that away, you're winning hugely on purchasing power. I still think it's amazing that if inflation was 10% and the property you bought went down in value 1% per year, you, you're actually making money because the debt is eroding faster than the asset value. So you could have a property that goes down and if inflation was high enough, you could still be actually winning, which is crazy. It'll never show up in your short-term view at all. (laughs) Conversely, I think there's a whole bunch of boomers out there right now that just bought good houses and don't know how big a role inflation has played on their ability to create wealth. It's the hidden effect. They think it was the property itself. It's no, you bought a property and eroded the debt. It's much easier to work with that. I think that's a massive difference. Um, that kind of ties into point number two here, which is the leverage. Right? Is going if you're someone who's got a hundred thousand dollars, you can turn it into five hundred thousand dollars. Yep. And so these are the combination effects of inflation and leverage, which over a long-term view are the superpower that makes this asset class work the way it does. I know I probably shouldn't say this, and this definitely isn't financial advice, but on the evidence I've seen, if you're just a cash investor. I don't think property wins at all. I think there's better options. It's it's funny. I was talking to a guy who's got quite a few investment properties all paid off in cash, he, all based in Victoria, so he's very happy with the recent Victorian budget. Um, and he's he's totally aware of it. Like he's come back. He's like his um, brother actually has like 30-odd properties all with debt. And he's like, my brother smoked me. He's like, and I know that the debt's the thing that's helped him out. He's like, but I just... 
He's like, I'm just, I'm too far beyond now. He's like, I'm just where I am. But he's like, I know that I could be in a better position if I had to use the, the leverage. And I'm like, that's just, that's the greatest comparison between two brothers. Well, there it is. And I would even say just due to the nature of like an ETF of how easy it is to buy and sell, cheap to transact, no stamp duty, the diversification, right, in the company. the same outcome. <laughs> right, I'm looking at it and going, if I was only investing with cash, like ETFs are clearly better. They have huge advantages. Yeah. So it's like uh, we'll leave that conversation for another day. But when you factor in inflation and leverage, it's, it's not even close. And that's where I think this becomes very, very interesting. What's the third one? The big one? Tax. <laughs> yeah. So a, a massive one here is that if you're playing a short-term game in real estate, right? So let's say your short-term game is you're going to buy properties, do renos and flip them. Every time you do a transaction, you're going to get taxed. And whether it's stamp duty or the profits from your sale of the asset, right, is you're continually paying tax. Or if you hold an asset that grows for 30 years, you never pay tax until you sell it. Don't get me wrong, you might pay land tax or you might pay tax on the income that comes from the property, but the capital gains tax is deferred here. Now, what makes this even more interesting, and it comes back to our other points, you can actually borrow against that pre-tax. So you've yeah. now gained even more leverage and ability to use inflation. So when I think of the people that, or the way I want to play property, inflation, leverage, and tax are going to produce bigger wins overall, and I should say compounding as well, which is the time effect that comes into these. Time is the magic thing here when we start to think long-term. Yep. All three of these factors are going to produce a much bigger and better result than anything will in the short term. And that's the game I want to play. This is what I've got to keep coming back to is like, how am I playing this game? And the, the key thing to those four, right, is without them, essentially you need to time the market, you need to manufacture the growth, you need to do these other decisions in order for you to generate the results outside of the property, like for the property. Right, where these other four that you've mentioned, inflation, leverage, tax, compounding, is all determined by time. <laughs> it's like a mandatory thing. It's like you can't force those four key elements within a short period of time. Yeah, so watch this, Grant. If I said to you, find me a winning property in the next 12 months, where does your mind go versus if I asked you, how do I win this over 30 years? Totally. Like I'll, I'll be going towards... Uh, probably like high yield types of properties, whether apartments or otherwise, and you'd go for a win, I'd try and hotspot it. So like maybe a mining town here or there that I think is going to boom over the next 12 months, et cetera, um, versus if I was going longer term, it's where's the population going to go? Where, where are the good schools? Where are the places that people want to live you know, from now until the end of time? And that's the point, right? It's very easy to slip into that short-term game. Very do easy. That, do you feel that people – forget the main reason why they're getting into property in the first place or investing in general, which is uh, depending on the individual, most of people come back to the financial independence layer. And it's almost like they forget that and they're looking, they're going, great, this is where I want to get to, but I want to try and get this quick win. <laughs> I actually think this is wiring. I think this is biology. I think this is in the DNA. Like we're just not wired to be good at delayed gratification. <laughs> <laughs> or like aligned to our long-term desired vision. 
we, we need the thing yesterday. Yeah, there's no excitement and enjoyment yeah. of taking a 30-year plan and just like, you know, ticking the boxes month on month. I don't enjoy that today. Yeah, That's the whole point. So then I think the question becomes is like, what can you actually do? And I'll express a strategy I've used for myself and I suspect you've used as well, but I think for a lot of property investors, where they should play the short game is actually income, right? I think they should, instead of looking at property of going, well, how do I get short-term and short-minded through developments or hotspotting or whatever it is, how do I get short-minded in coming up with deposits through active income or business, right? So as an example that I think will uh, most people will understand very contextually, if you said, well, I really want to accelerate my gains in property, I'm going to go drive Uber for the next 12 months so I can get an extra deposit in. I'm going to buy a really good quality asset and then that's going to compound. That's a great way of playing the short and the long. Like I think that's really powerful. Or maybe for someone out there, they're going, well, I'm going to start a side hustle or invest in some skills so I can upgrade, uh, get a promotion at work or get some sort of benefit from it in a way to increase income. When you do that, you unlock some really powerful things. I think short-term focus there and it's even not that short, it's just all relevant to the conversation, right? If you spend 12 months educating yourself and upskilling, right, that's probably long-term in that world. Yeah. But it's short when it comes to property, right? But in the context here is that might be the best thing you do in the next 12 months so that you can fund multiple more deposits. Totally. I've even seen people go the other side of, and we, we've all seen it all around like reducing your expenses as much as humanly possible. But I've seen people sell, like they've had multiple vehicles, they've sold down the vehicles, jet ski, motorcycles. Uh, sometimes they've downsized on the house to actually get that cash to go and invest in in property and stuff. And again, no, not financial advice. It's more the layer of you going, well, how do I increase the net amount so that I can buy a better asset long term <laughs> as opposed to going these short, quick wins? And so your layer of, well, how do I, and I do the exact same thing. It's like, how do I create more deposits? And I also look at how can I generate more cash flow in the properties that I have as well, because that adds another layer on top of the how do I get more deposits as well. Is there anything else you do to resist the temptation of just playing a short-term game in property? Because it would be very easy to. The, your question of the 10 years, I think is fantastic. I always come back to the alignment of my financial independence goal. It's every property that I purchase will have a position in my portfolio probably for the next 20, 30, 40 years. I'm never buying an asset where I'm looking at it to sell within the next couple of years. I love how clear your intent is and your view. It's very hard to fall off course when you're really specific like that. Do you think so, if you dig a little bit deeper, are people are just a little bit too malleable to whatever's going on and just bend to the situation rather than coming back to well, where I'm actually trying to get to on a more bigger level or strategic level. Yeah, and I, I think it also comes back to the outcome. I want the outcome quicker where I'm completely fine with it taking a couple more, like a couple of years longer. So I'm okay with doing like run of the business, doing the things that I'm currently doing and potentially buying less properties or properties at a slower pace because I know it's going to get me ultimately to my end goal quicker. Oh, that's so you striking such a chord with me right now. It's so hard to intentionally like sit on the sidelines and not do anything in property, right? Because you're trying to play this longer game and you can see opportunities and you get the FOMO and you're maybe in a situation where you're like, oh, if I was just, you know, 
at that next level, then everything would be okay. By the way, it's never okay when you're at the next level. You just, if I just solve this problem, Grant, I won't have any more problems. You know, you know the thing that I've, I appreciate more is my hatred for doing all the paperwork to go and buy and settle a property. Like I actually think that thing helps me delay. It's very <laughs> like it's- good for the uh, ETF industry, I must say. Yeah, yeah, the so- amount of bureaucracy and... <laughs> So for like for me buying properties, I'm like, oh man, this is gonna be a whole heap of stress. Especially if I'm gonna put it in a trust. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to do all this stuff. I better buy an asset so I don't have to do this again. <laughs> it better be a good asset for the long term. Just because I'm like, this short term pain just of doing the paperwork sucks. <laughs> so that's always a good layer. I know you're someone who reviews your numbers monthly as well, right? Do you put in? Do you have your goal? on your monthly numbers or put anything in place just to remind yourself of where you're trying to get to? Completely. Like it is it is the entire outcome that I'm going for. Like, you know, the one thing that my wife and I repeated to each other consistently, which and actually I've spoken to you about it quite a lot, is over the last couple of years of the growth that some of the properties that we have had has always been repeated, which is this is not normal. This is not normal. This I need to understand that these interest rates are not normal. I need to understand that this property growth is not normal. These yields are not normal. Like this is just not the norm. This is just where we're at in the portfolio because it meant that as times have changed, as they have, properties have changed, I'm like, this seems more normal now. Like this seems to be what it has been over the last 50 years outside of the peaks and troughs. And so I was so mentally prepared for going, hey, like this is where we're at and no worries at all. Like I'll take the wins as they come, but I'm not banking on them. And so aligning it to our cash flow goal as well as our net wealth goal, it literally sits in the same tracker of all of our properties. But also as we track the increases every single month, I have a good benchmark of like, this is just not normal. Like I'm not going to get 10% returns every single year. That's just odd. I do like that and I think it's something I could improve upon in my own setup. When I was uh, working up to financial independence, I do think I was much better at tracking and aligning to that goal. I think one of the things that as I crossed that goal and hadn't necessarily set a new goal, the temptation of short-term things has definitely been creeping into my world. So like having a goal and a target I think is crucial. Having a way to remind yourself of that goal and target and realign yourself to it I think is crucial as well, which you're doing an excellent job of. One of the things I'll say that's really made me think about this differently in more recent times is actually Jack, right? I'm thinking about what assets uh, I may potentially want to pass down to him or how to set him up. And I've found that that type of layering has been really good for my long-term thinking as well, like really good. So the reminder of that has become uh, more interesting. Uh, Can I share a quick uh, funny Charlie Munger quote as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I saw I saw heard him referenced of the idea of do you think passing money down to your kids will ruin them? And he's like, Yes, but if I don't do it, they'll hate me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Well, there's there goes that one, right? Well, so, there you go. Sure. It's like it, <laughs> I love that idea. I love that idea. But it's yeah, I, I think to wrap it all up, the the difficult layer is understanding when to apply the short-term approach in order to unlock a long-term results versus everything is the short-term. Like the obsession around this 12-month results just seems to be trumping the idea of properties long-term game. Like it doesn't matter. I think I can simplify it. 
go short term on deposits and servicing. Right? Yep. If there's things you can do to enhance your ability to come up with a deposit in the short term, right? I think do it because do if it. you take yep. that and turn it into a long term thing, so you're going to go work your ass off for 12 months, drive Uber, reduce your costs, all of it, and that gets you the deposit to buy a really great long term asset. Well, now you've just compounded your efforts, right? You've taken the efforts you spent 12 months on where you've turned that into now what will be a compounding long-term result. I'm like tick of approval. What I don't like is when people uh, do things like they're going to go really hard for 12 months to create a result to then go really hard in the next 12 months to create the same result and they're not building that compound nature. So if you're you know, going to go really hard in developing a duplex in an area or whatever it is and then it's only got a short window where it gets this 30% growth, you've got to sell it and then you've got to repeat the process. I don't necessarily think those types of strategies are great in property. I think there's better opportunities elsewhere in all honesty because, and I know someone out there right now is going to be sitting there going, yeah, but you made 30% on the build, right? You know, but you had capital tied up in a short-term opportunity, right? And that's what I think people are forgetting is that if you're doing developments, well, then your capital is tied up in that. You're not betting on long-term assets there. You're actually missed out on that opportunity and that's where the trade-off is. Now, unless you have ridiculously huge funds or you're at the later stage of your journey or a different stage where you can diversify at that level, it just seems silly to me. For the investor that is not yet financially independent, my view and his opinion is my view and opinion, learn how to talk, Charlie, <laughs> is um, get very focused on the income and deposits, buy quality assets you can play a long-term compounded game on, and then time will be your friend in hitting this in a much more I'm going to say it's going to be a faster approach than you may think because you've taken it than trying to hunt out these quick, short-term dopamine hit media cycle strategies. Yeah, and the additional sub-point that I'll put to your first two points around earning the deposits but then also buying a better quality asset is the, the amount of times that I see people say, I have this budget, which is super small. Like I've seen people say, I've got 60 grand. And how do I buy a great asset? I'm like, no, you just need you to like, yeah, literally that's that's the whole point. It's you just need to understand that eating the glass for the short term is to ensure that you can get into better assets and don't just try and shortcut it by going, I've got this much, what can fit? Like I've got this, what can it fit in? <laughs> like it's like, no, how do you grow into the better investment? Like don't try can and get that better Can we set some context on that? Yeah, let's go. Because I, I think that's um, for anyone listening to this is like, you know, when we reference the idea of quality, it'd be easy to say, well, I'm just buying Sydney or Melbourne blue chip. And these are like, you know, great port. potentially like $1 million plus assets. And I just don't believe my opinion, not financial advice, that that's the threshold. You don't need to be able to invest a million dollars to be able to do it. But I do think that um, I personally struggle to see assets under $400,000 that have the characteristics I would think of that have a long-term view. I really do. And mostly I'm referencing is that I believe you can still get properties in Perth, Adelaide, um, which are capital city metro areas that have some great long-term growth aspects where you could perceivably get a good win. And history would show that I'm dancing around financial advice. So I was going to say, here. I'll get to the dance floor in a minute. Yeah, uh, In Melbourne and Sydney, like I still see great opportunities in places like, you know, Bendigo, Ballarat. There are major regions where you can still get properties at that 500, maybe 600K range as well. It's the 
$300,000 category that concerns me, to be honest. It's the people out there looking at assets un- 300 and under that I look at it and go, oh, I'm not sure what that's where opportunity lies. Yeah, slash the growth, slash probability of continued The increase. risk is higher, definitely. Yeah. I reckon we've done well. Can we wrap it up? Let's wrap it up. Is there anything, anything that, that we've missed on this one? I feel like we've hit it. Maybe, I don't know, maybe I got too opinionated and might have a lawsuit coming my way. Do not take financial advice from me on this one. I'm just sharing some ideas that I would love for people to consider into their own thoughts and speak to their own financial advisors about. Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to uh, remind everybody that if you do have any questions or actually any thoughts, like what are your thoughts on playing the short term versus the long term and this obsession around the sort of the 12-month strategy, you can head over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter, subscribe to the newsletter and reply to any email. It doesn't even need to be the ones for this episode. And just let me know your thoughts. Let us know. And we'll, uh, if you've got any good questions, we might even bring it on the episode in the future. Just want to say thank you very much for joining us. And we look forward to catching you on the next episode of Property and Investing.